mini episode 1340 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1340. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And good friend and longtime FDH Lounge dignitary Jake Digman here. And uh, 1340, a number very near and dear to my heart, uh, Jake Digman. It's good to have you on for this one. Such a, a good friend as yourself. We're here to do the WrestleMania 37 recap. When I used to do public radio down in Athens, down in my school days, 1340 W-O-U-B-A-M. So uh, a, a very warm feeling in my heart for that number. And who better to have on the show than a great of the game like yourself, my friend? Oh, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here, especially with that wonderful intro. Sure. Well, uh, again, uh, guys like me and you, uh, no matter how lukewarm at best the product may be, we look forward to WrestleMania every year because it's WrestleMania. And it has the chance uh, potentially to exceed uh, expectations. I will say night one did, night two is about what I expected, uh, more or less. Uh, where did you come out on that spectrum? Wait, are we talking WrestleMania again for like the second time in a week? Yes, we are. We did the, we did the preview, uh, and uh, we, we saw some things coming uh, and some things we didn't see coming, but uh, yes, we're doing it again. Well, all right, I'm, I'm drinking again then. <laughs> um, uh, I, I agree with your sentiments on the, what you just said. Night one delivered everything. That, you know, when we were kids and we watched, uh, um, would like looking forward to seeing WrestleMania. And, you know, you get like you knew what was going to happen. Like for example, you know, you knew that Hulk Hogan was going to beat Andre the Giant. You knew that Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to win the title in the main event against Shawn Michaels and win the championship. You know, there was all these little different moments, but then you still tuned in because it was like. Even though you knew what was going to happen, it was that anticipation of seeing it and being like, okay, they did it. That would be night one, you know, big happy celebratory ending. Night number two is Vince McMahon's wet dream where he says, F you. He's like, well, night one, Vince comes out and goes, welcome back, fans. Night two, Vince goes, F you, fans. (laughs) I mean... If we're gonna if we're gonna look at it that way, I mean, is it oversimplifying to say night one more akin to WrestleMania thirty might night two maybe more akin to WrestleMania thirty <laughs> two? Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's you know one way to look at it. It was uh, akin to night two was akin to something, and I'm sure we'll get into all that yeah. as we break down the greatest event in sports entertainment history, where fans came back into the arena until the rain made them. Go away. <laughs> exactly. And and our our go-away image of Samoa Joe in the Fed is rocking a poncho on night one. So uh, they had to keep him around just for that before uh, busting a slug in him, unfortunately. <laughs> so. And is there any better of an image to describe Samoa Joe's entire main roster run at the WWE than him standing there in a cheap-ass poncho next to Michael Cole going, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, it, in terms of misusing people, 
Uh, and you're right about the symbolism of his entire run. Somewhat akin to Goldust uh, putting that gold, that that wig on the head of Goldberg. I mean, that's that's what that had to be uh, similar to in my mind, as far as making somebody tough look geeky. But uh, as as far as uh, tough guys go, we open with a real bomb fest here uh, with uh, Lashley and McIntyre for the WWE well, Championship. I, I, okay. Uh, I hate to cut you off immediately, but you did skip the lead of the ring, the first ever rain delay in WrestleMania history, and I only bring this up because it's something that you and I have. Com- it gave us an opportunity to experience something that I know you and I have complained about on the air and off the air, is they had no idea what to do. Like, it was severe weather, and obviously severe weather wasn't planned. I believe I tweeted out or I put on the Facebook or whatever it was. Um, looks like God is getting his, his win back from 2006, which all you know, the, the rain delay take place. But the, to the WWE's credit, what they did was they went to the back and they had you know, the guys start cutting promos. Personally, this is just my own personal thing, I didn't like that because I like to see the people for the first time when they come out, you know, and you get that like grandiose WrestleMania appearance. But I understood why they had to do it. And looking at this, Kevin Owens knocked it out of the park, nailed it, perfectly unscripted promo, they handed him a microphone, said go out there for three minutes and talk about your match tomorrow. Kids, take note of that. That's without a writer, that's without any scripting. Perfect. Bobby Lashley, MVP, and Drew McIntyre, that was the drizzling you-know-what. Right. <laughs> Where I was like, okay, I thought you knew how to cut a promo, but apparently you don't, and Drew McIntyre just looked like, I don't know if he was going to like just have a nervous breakdown and cry, and then it was to the point where, um, are they going to do this match back here? What's happening? And right. You kind of get a feel for the guys that were, you know, comfortable on a live microphone without having anybody, you know, scripting them, and the other people, now we know why, everyone's scripted, because they're just like, they were a deer in the headlights. Like, I don't know what Seth Rollins was talking about, but he sounded like he was having fun. Well, yeah. <laughs> he sounded like he was having a good time, but for the life of me, I can't, okay, he's like, yep, I'm going to go wrestle tomorrow, ha, ah, how you doing, it's great, everything's wonderful, he's just like, okay. I just thought that was an interesting take on because they were forced to do something, we got the opportunity to see why some guys can cut a promo unscripted, even bullet points, and other guys, other performers will need to be um, basically have everything written out verbatim for them. And uh, funny thing is, a we'll just say a birdie once told me a quote, and I can't mention the birdie's name, but he's like, because I was having a conversation with someone, and he was like, he's like, these people are idiots. (laughs) I'm like, because it was always a complaint. And he's like, some of these people, and this was many years ago, but still, I'm sure myself why. He's like, these people are idiots. You see, if you tell them to go out there, they're not like, you know, Flair, Rhodes, Austin, Rock. They don't know what to say. And I'm like, then why would you have this job? <laughs> right. Oh, that always baffled me. It's like, I'm sorry. I don't I don't play in the NBA because I can't dunk and I can't shoot a basketball. Right. You don't see anybody signing me up to go join the team and stand there like, hey, go be a body. Well, yeah, exactly. A uh, lot to unpack there, Jake. couple things. First of all, I know who said that to you. Same person said that to me. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, and I think you are. Uh, so <laughs> Yes. So there's that. Um, I know where you posted that uh, God getting his win back thing. It was on Facebook because I remember clicking like. So there's that. Okay. And then <laughs> um, 
from from checking out the Grit Fiend podcast after WrestleMania, they were ragging on what's her name, Sarah Shriver, for the thing with, with Drew McIntyre. He took a deep pause and she jumped in, and he was like, "Please let me finish." That's on him. Grit Fiend was wrong. That's on him. If you're a wrestler, you're doing a live, spontaneous kind of a deal. The announcer is not just supposed to stand there waiting for you, you know, while you're doing your Dr. Frankenfurter routine with your pauses. So that's that's on him, <laughs> you know. So I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if you're watching, you know, if you're watching a, like an NBA game or whatever, NFL game, and then you know, the, the, the sideline reporter goes to talk to whomever, and all of a sudden we'll just say Tom Brady, and goes, "Okay, Tom Brady, congrats. What, what are your thoughts on the game coming up?" Right. And he just stands there like a deer in headlights. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, and, and I, I'm not, I don't want to bury him. I get what he was trying to do. He was trying to come off as being spontaneous, as somebody who was making thoughtful statements before he goes out there. But by the same token, you have to think about the byplay with the interviewer. And the interviewer can't just stand there and wait for you while you're doing your whole thoughtful Shakespearean kind of a deal here. So, again, that's on him to whatever degree. Uh, as far as you know, the other elements here, Kevin Owens, I agree with you, but I will say this. Uh, it seemed to be taking, uh, taken on some corners of the internet wrestling community. That whole thing about nobody wanted him and Sammy when they were making their way through the independence, that was taken as a three-minute-long subtweet of the likes of Jim Cornette and him doing that. I think people are reading too much into it. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think he just went out there and cut you know, the standard promo. It might have been slightly directed at Corny, but I don't think it I don't think it was I don't think he could have went out there and go, Awesome, I finally got three minutes of on WrestleMania to cut a promo on Cornette. No. Well, it was just one of those things where I mean, I thought a person out of all of them, I thought he was one who nailed it, uh, knocked it out of the park. And you know, you've been wrestling the same guy telling the same story for twenty years. You better know how to do it. By the way, and I'm gonna say this as regards that, I saw, and this was one of the fallout videos I have seen people with my own two eyes, the 21st century version of the Hard Times promo, and it is Sami Zayn's reaction to losing that match. If you've seen his video with Sarah Schreiber, I don't know, have you seen it, Jake? I haven't seen it yet, no. Well, uh, without, without ruining it, it's basically a thing of like she's asking him how he felt about this, and he starts going into this prolonged thing about how none of this feels real, it feels like an out-of-body experience. I know Logan Paul put his hands on me, but it was like, from that point on, it was like I was floating above my body watching it happen. He's going into this entire delusional thing, and it's it's the greatest promo in many, many, many years. I was laughing, but hopefully laughing in the right way. It was just incredible. Sami Zayn, when he's on, is a freaking genius. But uh, anyways, you, you, were, you were right that I buried the lead by not getting into the backstage stuff. And then, of course, Vince did his whole, you know, version of the post-9-11 thing here of, you know, let me welcome back open society here at WrestleMania. So, you know, Vince trying to get himself over in the moment here, and people were letting him, you know, have, have his due, I guess, for that. Uh, I wasn't. I was very cynical. I thought it was Vince being Vince, but uh, it, it was what it was. Uh, this this first... My, my, my issue with that and again, maybe this is just old school me on this. I didn't care if Vince walked out on the stage and said, welcome to WrestleMania, welcome back to all the fans. I was at WrestleMania 20 when he said, hey, thank you for 20 years, and just walked out and did that. You're the owner of the company. Sure, it's part of it to inflate his ego, and the other part of it is, you know, somewhere deep down inside, maybe he's, you know, genuine. My issue I had with it was all of the 
talent standing up there, like, yay, we're so happy to be here behind you. Like, okay, Roman Reigns is the tribal chief, your badass heel, and he's just standing right next to Edge, like, yeah, we got a match later, and it's going to be fine, but no worries, this is the part of the show. Like, all the baby faces and all the heels were just there. I agree. Like, okay, I agree. You just killed everything dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even, even if you would have had them up, if you want to do that and have them on both sides, and like when it's over with and they're walking to the back, like, you know, they glare at each other. Or even if you want to build that into, you know what, screw it, we're doing this right now. And last year, just like, I'm going for like, Drew McIntyre be like, screw this, I'm going to the ring. <laughs> okay, that I could buy into. But it's just like, all of a sudden, you, I don't know, the, the, equi- the equivalency to me if we were watching, um, you know, the beginning of Avengers Endgame and all of a sudden, you know, Thanos just sitting around going, hey, we had so much fun last time, guys. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It, would it would it kill you to kayfabe? Put the uh, the two sides on opposite sides of the stage, and that way you wouldn't give us or something. Don't have them out there at all. Yeah, I'm not I sure. Don't need to see all. I don't want to see all of the talent. Can you imagine if it was WrestleMania 14 and you saw the crowd saw Stone Cold Steve Austin for well as soon as the show opened. Right. It would kill us dead. Part of the anticipation with this is building up that emotion, that anticipation, so that you're waiting all night to see that person you want to see. So when they finally come out, you're like, yeah! You know, you have that. I remember waiting, you know, like I mentioned, Austin, Rock, Hogan going on last, you know, all the stuff like that. If you send them out right with WrestleMania 3 open with Hulk Hogan standing out there right away, it just kill you. Number one, you kill the pop dead. And number two, you killed all that anticipation. And number three, it just makes him look like another guy. Well, and I'll tell you what, and I think we can agree with this. The one thing that would have salvaged that is uh, when Vince was done talking, if Sammy would have bum-rushed him and screamed into the mic, when will this conspiracy against me stop? I would have laughed. That, that would have worked. That would have been amazing. Instead of, we're, instead of, we're all happy to be here because yeah. you're all here. Yeah. Which we would find out over the course of the next 24 hours would be a total lie. Well, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and uh, some of the people there were on time that was more borrowed than they knew. But uh, <laughs> typical WWE booking with this first match, Lashley McIntyre, you called it as far as Lashley keeping the title. Uh, it was it, it, it was a good match. They threw a lot of bombs. I gave it three and a half stars. I thought it was pretty good. The finish, I thought, made Drew McIntyre look like a complete geek that uh, MVP yells something from the floor. Not even on the apron. He yells something from the floor, distracts him. Lashley puts him in the hurt locker or whatever the heck we're calling it these days and uh, gets the, uh, the, the, the the clean win. The clean win. I mean, somebody yelling your name at ringside is, is does not make it not a clean win. Uh, this is a thing here where for, for anybody who is certain that Drew McIntyre is going to come out of this okay subsequently. Supposedly, they were waiting to build towards him getting his big moment in front of crowds. All I could think of in watching this was Lex Luger, WrestleMania 10. Oh, you thought WrestleMania... Okay, I could see WrestleMania 10. I also thought maybe Lex Luger, uh, SummerSlam 93 on this one. SummerSlam 93, (laughs) exactly. This this Uh, thing uh, of, like, there will always be a tomorrow. Not getting the big win. Yeah. And look... He's been on top. I stood going into this. Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, you put the title on Lashley like this, and Lashley is, oh, that crowd was cheering for Lashley. You know, obviously it's more of a smarter crowd. They were behind Drew, but they were also behind Lashley because of the same reasons I said on the previous show. Now, I mean, personally, I mean, I think Drew McIntyre, unless he gets, you know, some kind of, something to give him his heat back, he's dead in the water as a challenger, and I think he's challenging at the next show, WrestleMania Backlash, whatever that is. 
Right. <laughs> Water it down. I, yeah. I, I have no interest in. I have no interest in seeing that match. The babyface lost clean. Well, and the funny thing is, so when I was watching the live show, uh, MVP distracted um, uh, Drew. I thought he yelled boobies. <laughs> he yelled Bobby. When I first watched it, I could have sworn he yelled boobies, and Drew was like, "Oh," and I'm like, "Boobies? What?" <laughs> Exactly. Or Thank you. amazing jake that is that is amazing what you did right there and i i have to say and, and again here's one of the worst problems of of modern wrestling it's whenever you know because of real life circumstances that something can't happen like i won't say at the next pay-per-view when these guys wrestle again it's not that it's too soon to take it off of lashley because he retained at wrestlemania but on the whole thing of drew mcintyre getting it back before a live crowd there probably won't be another live crowd until SummerSlam at this point. Looks like the next couple ones are going to be in the Thunderdome. So is Drew McIntyre going to get his coronation moment back in the Thunderdome? I mean, maybe, but that's one of the problems um, here. Yeah, if I'm this, I actually keep Drew McIntyre as far away from the championship. Uh, I go on a different route. I give the fans the match they want. And at SummerSlam, do in front of a live crowd, give us Lashley Lesnar. No, you already kept the belt on him. Give us that super fight. Give us the one where mainstream people will look at it and go, okay, I know all these other guys are BS, but these two are legit badasses, and they're going to go out there and try to kill each other. Let me ask you That's this. That's what I want to see. Does that match need the belt? No, but it should have the belt. Okay, all right. Only well, because if you're... I'm going with this as if it's like, you know, like a UFC-style, you know, heavyweight collision here. Okay. You know, that it's for the belt, and probably, if you want to, knowing how it's like to book things, you could, I would be surprised if Brock Lesnar won the belt and then lost to Drew next year in front of fans. Very if possible. If they're still on the Drew McIntyre Express, because here's the thing, as we've noticed with history, WWE gets a, a, a baby, they have a heel, and it becomes a baby face, and the crowd gets behind them, and they're like, yay, and they want to see something, a la Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar last year, and then, what did you, what's the term you used? They white meanify them. Yep. <laughs> they, they suffer from white meanification, and then all of a sudden, nobody wants to see them, and they ended up getting go-away heat. Yes. That's like, hey, I, you know, we wanted you to win, and now that you haven't, you got rid of all of the qualities that made us like you, and... I mean, for wrestling fans, let's face facts, the majority of them are males aged 18 to 45. They identify with badasses. Right. You know, comedic, they have good comedic timing, but they identify with badasses. And Bobby Lashley right now has a book as a badass. He um, has. Drew McIntyre has not. Well, yeah, and that's, the, the one thing that works in Drew Mac's favor is the paucity on both brands 
of guys who can still be elevated to that level. They, they've killed a lot of the younger talent that they have. A lot of the older talent is not going to draw at that level. As far as after we talk about the next match, after we talk about this women's crap with the tag team stuff, we'll, we'll be talking about somebody where it's going to be a test on the ability to elevate a guy after years of underutilizing. But up after this one, and I tell you what, I would just as soon take both of these matches together so we don't have to talk about it on the night two stuff. The tag team turmoil, the tag team match for the title. Um, I, I thought the tag team title match with Nia and Shayna against uh, Natalia and Tamina going 14-20, that was my lowest rated match of the weekend. I gave it one and three quarter stars. Uh, I, I thought it went on way too long. Night one was actually five seconds shorter when it had multiple eliminations in it. Night one, I thought, went on closer to what it should have been. I gave it two and a half stars. Nothing to write home about, but it, you had a couple funny things like the fall. Uh, there for, for Liv Morgan. Uh, thankfully, she ended up being okay. Uh, could have been a lot worse on that uh, wet stage there, and they got a stupid angle out of it for Monday night with her falling. But uh, the, 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 the first match I found to be, I mean, basic and inoffensive, but not, like, horrible. Night two, it was like, will this crap end already? Um, I'm just going to sum this up with one sentence. All of this was a complete waste of time. Right. It was a complete cluster waste of time. Yep. Especially the fact that, you know, all of the ideas that I pitched to you, something they could have done, nope, they went with the safe setup, okay. And then the next thing you're doing, heels versus heels, which is immediately, you know, okay, there's a telltale thing. Of, you, you couldn't get a baby-based theme in there, but I guess, you know, thus would be the theme of the night, of night two. <laughs> there were no baby faces on night two. And then, um, you know, seeing this, and like the first part of it, it's like, you know, night, night one with the stupid tag team turmoil. Couldn't they have just done a stupid battle royal? And then yeah. like, okay, here's a battle royal. The last two people are, is, instead of being, you know, like, instead of being a singles, it's a tag team. Everybody get a partner. And, right. And, and, you know, the last, last one win, you and your team win. Whatever. Something like that. Simple, easy, would have been inoffensive, you know, got people on the show, and it would have saved a heck of a lot of time. Yeah. And they all could have come out there and did their stupid little intro, and they would have been like, yay, and that would have been it. And they're like, okay, fine. Instead of just dragging on and on, and it wasn't even... Good. No. <laughs> like, like, and then the whole thing in the beginning of it, you know, the whole, the whole story building to this, if you want to follow the story, was Lana and uh, feuding with what's her face with Nia Jax bullying her for all the time. No, nope, they get eliminated first. <laughs> I'm like, as soon as that happened, I went, all right, well, this is pointless. Well, it, it was. You know, you're clearly not trying to sell a story. You're not trying to do anything here. So right. someone's just going to win. And then they went on the next night to have an even longer match that they just lose. Well, I'm like, okay, maybe they're going to give you Tamina's never won a title. She's been in the WWE for, what, 10, 15 years or something at this point. So, like, you know, okay, they're going to give her the big tag title win at WrestleMania. Cool. You know, they can say, hey, you know, the second, you know, the, whatever, the second generation superstar, like, or third generation for them. You know, they got first ever women's tag team champions that are also third generation. Nope, nothing. <laughs> well, right. Hey, congratulations. They put a stamp on it and go, you wasted your time. Well, and, and for as much as they teased during night two, and this is trying to make uh, chicken S into chicken salad, like, oh, Naya and Tamina locking up history. Well, it should have been, except they've never done anything with Tamina. This whole thing, and when they were like, this is the best Tamina's ever looked. Yeah, talk about damning with faint praise, because they've never done anything with her. Outside of the 15 minutes that she spent as Diesel to A.J. Lee's HBK, 
She's never been in a position to do anything. They they really missed their window with her prior to the whole, you know, women's evolution. Because back in the era of swimsuit models, she should have just been the head smacker at the top of the division, just beating the crap out of the swimsuit yeah. chicks. You know, she could have been money in that role. But she missed her window. Naya comes along, and she's the one who actually gets the push doing this kind of crap. And I, I just, I hate... The thing that makes me hate Nia and Shayna matches is that all the shine is on Nia and all the talent is with Shayna, and it just pisses me off. Uh, I guess I've worked myself into a shoot, but uh, Shayna's the one who's really great here. But uh, don't, work, don't work yourself to do a shoot over the over Nia Jack, trust me. Well, yeah, I get that, but I just like Shayna deserves so much more. I mean, one of the most talented people in the division, one one of like maybe two or three legitimate badasses that they actually employ in the female division. And uh, she takes a backseat to, back to a clumsy oaf who just uh, works stiff, injures people, and whatever. So, yeah, the, the less said about all this kind of crap, the better. Uh, you, you didn't, at least if you had the riot squad in there the next night, it would have told some kind of story. But, you know, just just anything. It was, it was ridiculous. I, I'm, just, I'm just getting madder and madder talking about this. I had referred to this uh, just a minute or so ago here on the... We're going to be testing the limits here of what you can do trying to heat somebody up after years of keeping them down in the mid-card, Cesaro. Now, he had what I felt was a four-star match with Seth Rollins. I thought it was an excellent match. Uh, Seth Rollins, who can look uh, excessive with some of his goofy kind of crap, I thought he reeled it in pretty good. I thought there was a lot of really excellent spots in this match. The swings, and then the no-hands airplane spin at the end there, just... Everything about this was, and this whole thing of that, like, apparently people are opening Vince's eyes to the fact that Cesaro is good. He's been really good the whole time he's been there. He was great as Claudio Castagnoli in ROH. You know, hey, this Cesaro is good. Welcome to 2006, Vince. It's a brave new world. But uh, 15 years later... Guy's finally going to get his shot, and, and again, there are still idiots that I see out there on the internet calling him bland, but people are excited, they're into this guy, and I think he can cut good, cocky, babyface type heel, or type interviews, and we're, we're about to find out. Supposedly the push is coming, he deserves it, and this match was a great launch. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, my only issue really with the, the match entirely is I don't have faith in the WWE booking system. Me either. Uh, they, got, they got her whole stuff going, oh, Starro, he won. I remember he won the Andre the Giant Battle Royals and became a Paul Heyman guy. Yep. And then all of a sudden, nothing. <laughs> right. And then, even if, and, and then he goes to join Sheamus in the bar, and I was a big fan of them. I thought, you know, they took, again, chicken crap and made chicken, chicken, chicken salad out of chicken poop with what they were given. Um, and then they split them up for no reason, and, you know, it's just funny you mentioned, like, Vince finally coming on board. I'm like, I have these ideas, like, you know, I'll get into this idea later on with uh, one of the other uh, matches on Pink 2, but I'm pretty sure Vince McMahon uh, just saw, like, the Transporter or something. He just saw a Jason Statham movie and realized that Cesaro worked for him, and I was like, man, I can do great things with this guy. Like, yeah, you've had him for 10 years. Really? Why come nobody told me? <laughs> I mean, that's as good of an explanation as anything. And uh, it was really just, uh, it, it was a tremendous showcase. Seth Rollins with his facials and everything like that, the perfect guy to sell for Cesaro. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever sold the swing better in any of the years of it ever being done than Seth Rollins. And uh, again, 
that guy definitely he has some excesses in his style. I get why certain parts of the IWC don't fully appreciate the guy, uh, but this was him out here at his best. And oh, by the way, in a losing effort. Uh, so I, I I respect that. This is not a match where he was going over. Uh, and uh, so there, there's a lot of folks in wrestling history that could have taken some lessons in terms of going out there and helping to elevate somebody. And Seth Rollins did an incredible job. Cesaro more than held up his end of the bargain. A great match. It's interesting that during the, uh, the, the women's tag team crap we were referencing before that I referenced HBK and Diesel. Clearly Vince must be hoping he's got his new HBK and, and Diesel here and uh, looking at uh, the next match here, tag team titles for Raw. You and I didn't see this coming as far as going the full-on monster route with almost, almost, whatever the hell it is. Uh, he, he's almost got some working skills, I guess, from watching this match. But uh, there was some bit of criticism on the internet about the whole heel in peril style at the beginning. I thought it was great. I'm a big fan of changing things up. And the baby faces cutting the ring across as though they were the Minnesota Wrecking Crew was and doing so comedically. I thought it was pretty awesome. Hot tag to the big heel. It changes things up. And from there, uh, him going in and, and treating the rest of that match as though it was the main event of SummerSlam 2014 was something to behold. Uh, I don't know if they're going to succeed in getting this guy over, but he couldn't have gotten a better launch than this match. I completely agree with you. I, I, I enjoyed every aspect of this match from... Uh from uh, was it Xavier Woods talking about why they were doing better because AJ's a singles wrestler and they're a tag team wrestler and they're cutting the ring in half because that's what a tag team does. Yep. <laughs> it's like stupid stuff like that I found thoroughly entertaining. And then uh, when they finally tagged in uh, local boss, they, they, um, you know, they sold like a million bucks. I mean, it looked like, you know, he looked like a world beater in there to the point where uh, he beat former WWE champion, the man who won the title three years ago at WrestleMania, maybe, or two years ago. Two now, years ago, two yeah. Years ago at, two years ago at WrestleMania, in a match that many people felt should have been the actual main event that night. He beat Kobe Kingston with one foot. And I was talking to someone at uh, WrestleMania with the championship. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, and I was like, man, has there ever been a greater from being a world champion all the way down to just like nothing. Like once he got beat by Brock Lesnar, that was it. He landed back in the mid card and done, had no interest in ever going back up top to the you know the main events for any reason. I don't recall any champion having that big of a plummet, just like to right back to where they were. Like you know, maybe Ginger Mahal, which by the way, he was there. He was I saw him on the yeah. stage. Yeah, yeah. How did that happen? The thing that's interesting is Kofi did what so few in wrestling history have structurally. I mean, I almost go back to 1986, Terry Gordy with the Freebirds winning the UWF Heavyweight Championship, World Championship, of becoming a world champion whilst still in a unit. And that's the whole thing, too. Yeah. Now, now, Gordy didn't necessarily go right back to being a freebird afterwards because he was already transitioning to Japan. But I think even in Japan, he was more noteworthy as part of a tag team. Of course, the great uh, Doc and Gordy team. So, I mean, Gordy is maybe the one precedent I could think of of not moving back into a world championship scene afterwards. But And, and the one thing I think that Kofi and New Day would say to you is, well, he's been multiple-time tag team champion in the last two years. But again, though, that's strictly a mid-card kind of a deal. And, and here, to get decimated the way that he did, yes, it is a matter of how the mighty have fallen. 
And uh, I will say, our old uh, pal from the Sports Talk Network, uh, Don Peterson, he posted a picture on Facebook that uh, somebody had taken of uh, a bunch of the uh, black wrestlers getting together, a big black pride picture for uh, WrestleMania weekend. And, uh, you know, the, the, the big guy was in there. And uh, somebody remarked that, uh, you know, New Day was not in the picture. And I was like, well, look look at the big guy in there. you got to keep kayfabe, don't you? Come on. So... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the match was fine for what it was. Uh, I gave it three and a quarter stars. I thought it was uh, pretty good. It was it was something different. They tried to get across this guy as a monster. Uh, interestingly enough, it's a gimmick they would rip off the next night. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, and whether that might uh, Night two, a lot of the stuff they did was sort of a pale imitation of night one. One exception to that would be, I don't know if there was anything night two with the ex- with the exception of the women's tag team title match. There was nothing night two that was worse than the cage match. Braun Strowman, Shane McMahon, usual smoke and mirrors, uh, diminishing returns with these guys. Uh, Shane took a hell of a bump, and for a guy of 50, I respect it like hell. But, I mean, I hate to say it, it doesn't compare to some of the bumps he's taken in the past. That's what happens when you keep raising the bar too high. So... It was a match that really, again, if you look at Monday Night Raw, okay, they're trying to establish it. It made Braun Strowman a big contender by beating Shane McMahon, really? I mean, I guess. I don't know. I gave it two and a half stars, uh, and I don't know why. I feel like I was probably being excessively generous, but, I mean, it was it was basically just there, I thought. The, uh, the sad part about that future statement there is, yes, everyone's been, been so preconditioned to see the, the big spot. I think him falling off of the top of the cage and landing on the mat might hurt a lot worse than all his crash mats that fell on too. That's right. You can tell he hit. It was just like, oh, but no one's going to get that. They're going to be like, oh, he's going to do like the big stunt spot. I'm like, I don't know. That looked pretty big and, and like stuntful. My favorite stuntful. I'll say that word. <laughs> My favorite part of this match was when I'm pretty sure probably everybody either loved it or hated it was when Braun Strowman punched through the cage and dropped it back inside. I'd never seen that done before. And I mean, obviously, you know, the entire the entire match was just crapping up the concept of a steel cage match. Right. You open up with, you know, interference right off the bat. It's like, if you got to do that, why did you book yourself into the situation in the first place? Right. You know, nobody, nobody, nobody said you had to do this, you know. I mean, you could very easily done, you know, your uh, false count anywhere or whatever, you want to have other people involved. But it was one of those, like, everybody knew what the finish was going to be, so it was just a matter of waiting to get to it. Like, there was no way Shane McMahon was going to win that match. So everything else, all the, I wasn't really invested in the their ideas trying to like, you know, false finish or anything. I'm like, okay. But I thought, um, I actually thought what they were going to do with Braun was going to body slam, do the power slam off the top of the cage and go, like, through the ring. But then I realized there was more matches that had to happen after this, so they couldn't actually do that. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, you threw him down there, now power slam him and move on. It was what it was, you know. I don't know if it makes Braun Strowman any better. Congratulations, you beat a 56-year-old part-time billionaire son. I don't understand. You know, you, you should win that. Well, <laughs> you know, I like, mean, as you should win that. <laughs> as far as who they're putting with him, I mean, we've come a long way from the glory days of the Mean Street Posse. Two random mid-card scrubs. And I think Riker, it'd be generous to call him a mid-card scrub. Elias definitely is. Uh, like, why they would be associated with Shane McMahon, it's it just, there's no thought, there's no effort, there's no anything into it. At least when Shane McMahon, two years ago, 
was affiliated with, with uh, Drew McIntyre. It was sort of an extension of the next big thing uh, push that he'd gotten 10 years earlier. It was there, there was some kind of rhyme or reason as to why Shane O'Mac was associated with him instead of, hey, here's two scrubs that don't have a WrestleMania payday. Let's put them with me. So it was just uh, really, really goofy and convoluted. And I'm just glad that's apparently behind us at this point. Uh, as uh, Braun Strowman dedicates his win, if I read his promo correctly, to all the dumb people of the world. So that's inspiring. But, you know. That's nice. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. nice of him. That's, I like this. Is this for anybody that's ever been called stupid? I'm like, yeah, but what if they're doing stupid things? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing stupid things, you should be able to be called stupid. Yeah. Isn't the dumbest concept of a thing? What a what a what a great what a great callback to twenty years ago. That's amazing. <laughs> you're stupid. Yeah. Oh God. Yes, you are. Like, okay. <laughs> gosh, gosh, Jake, and and to think that some people have the balls to say that the creative process is bankrupt these days. Who you know who could ever who could ever accuse them of being lazy or just phoning it in with that kind of an advanced concept at work. But uh, as I say, thankfully, that is behind us. The, the, the next match, I got to say, I didn't want to like it as much as I did. I, I, I crapped all over the Bad Bunny thing on the preview. Uh, okay, I'm not in the demographic of his fans. But okay, look, respect here on this. I, I, I get, uh, I mean, he did one, one of the great jobs that any part-timer has ever done in any kind of high-profile match, uh, certainly better than... Uh, Jay Leno at Sturgis 98 or uh, any of the like. But uh, again, it, it, it somewhat helped Damian Priest. I would have preferred that Damian Priest, as the guy they're trying to build to be the next uh, uh, a big star, one of the few young guys in this company they haven't ruined. I'd prefer to see him taking the pinfall, but they thought it would be more mainstream headlines for Bad Bunny to get the pinfall. Uh, again, it was it was a really good match. Uh, the the bunny destroyer on on the outside, which again to me it's a spectacular move, but it, it is one of the all time great exposing the business moves in terms of the amount of cooperation that's needed for it. But uh, you know, regardless, and and again, John Morrison, boy, this guy has come a long way from being the dominant guy at Lucha Underground, huh? To to being just Mrs. Goofy Stooge in these matches here, but uh, then again, he's probably getting paid, you know, 15 times more than he was getting paid then, so I guess that's where it all evens out. In short, really good match. I gave it three and a half stars, and I would have been damned going into that match if I'd have thought that's what I'd have given it. Johnny, Johnny Mundo's become Johnny Ono. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, here's my little criticism of this, and I heard other uh, people uh, talk about this, and I kind of agree. The only thing I kind of have an issue with is when you get guys like you know, Bad Bunny, and he did great for his performance, and I get why they do it, but when you get like celebrity rappers who come in and can do all of these moves better than the wrestlers can, right. like they just pull this off, so it looks like any rapper or any guy up the street can do it. It's just like, okay. And every single time they bring in a celebrity, the celebrity always wins and beats up the wrestler. Yep. So it's like, why do we have the wrestlers? They all suck. Celebrities are clearly better than anybody, and anybody off the street is better than any of the wrestlers that are there. Like, you never, very, very rarely do you ever see the celebrity come in and 
and, you know, put someone over. And I get why that is, but at the same time, like this, you know, like, like the story I would have wanted to see was Bad Bunny admitting that he's not a wrestler. Yep. So when he pulls off, like, basic things and lets, you know, Damien Priest do the majority of the work, right. and then when he whips out, you know, something cool, it's like, the Canadian Destroyer, okay, would be would have been impressive if I had, didn't see 697 people do that move in the past two months or the past couple. You know, you know what I mean. But right. Like, you know, there's eight matches on AEW where they do it. Freaking uh, Dustin Rhodes threw out a, a Canadian Destroyer. Ricky Morton did a Canadian Destroyer at age 62. Ricky Morton. I went. I go. Okay, I'm done. This move is stupid. <laughs> I'm like, this is now the new. This is the new. This is the new DDT. Where it went from like impressive when Jake Roberts did it, impressive when Petey Williams did it, to oh it's just a transition move. Now we're gonna move on to the next thing. Well, I mean the fact, like, and, and, and it's an old saying that goes back with this: just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Well, and if you're gonna do it, make it like count for something. Well, like now it's like you know, like now it's like the Canadian Destroyer, awesome. Some dude, some rapper named Bad Bunny could do that move. Well, the fact that, that Ricky Morton came on this show to talk about doing that move, uh, I'm not going to crap on it personally. I do understand where you're coming from. Uh, on no, I'm not crapping on him doing it at all. Right. I'm just saying that, you know, I'm just saying when, when it comes to the point where 67 year old men are doing it, it's, oh. let's, it's officially jump the shark. Let, let, well, say. let's be fair, Jake, 62 at the time. So. <laughs> oh, 62. My, my apologies, Ricky Morton. Big fan. I apologize. It, I will, I will say this, uh, when Ricky was on, I, I loved it. He was reminiscing about uh, the shows back at Public Hall back in the day, and you know, I was like, yeah, I was in a couple of those, Ricky. That was a lot of fun to watch, but uh, it was, you know, yeah, exactly. We, we, had, we had a fun time uh, on that, but uh, yeah, it, the, the Bad Bunny match, it got him some headlines. It did what it was supposed to do. Again, I'd have preferred that Damian Priest would have gotten even more of a rub coming out of this, maybe getting the pinfall, but... Because, like I said, he's one. If you're looking at guys who are challengers to the throne eventually for Drew McIntyre, I mean, the good news for Drew McIntyre is there ain't many guys left that are uh, plausible. They they seem to be well on their way to killing Keith Lee. He hasn't been on TV in a long time. I hope his health's okay. I hope it's not that. But I mean, you got Keith Lee, you got Damian Priest, and you got not too many guys that have a chance to crack that tier. So they should have done probably even more with him here. Like I said, giving him the pinfall, but. It is what it is. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, the one thing they're doing right now, the Fed is doing an A-plus job of elevating the top female talent that is on the cusp. And that brings us to the main event here. Uh, an all-timer, Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, for the SmackDown Women's Championship. The match got 17-15, which I thought was just right. Uh, I wouldn't have crapped on it if it went another minute or two. Uh, but uh, it was just in incredible. Uh, I mean, the hair whip spot at the end, uh, it just, it, it, no, no wonder that went viral, because something that sounded like either a whip or a gunshot uh, that Sasha Banks took to the abdomen, and boy, the wealth that it left afterwards. But an incredible match, Sasha Banks doing so many little things along the way, because she's somebody who, by her own admission, studied the Vanilla Midgets uh, videos growing up here, uh, and learn from the very best, uh, her hero Eddie, but also Malenko and uh, and Benoit and Jericho, the little things in a match. Nobody in this business, male or female, does all the little things better than Sasha Banks. Uh, she had maybe the best performance of her career, uh, and, and this is somebody that was in 
uh, take over Brooklyn too. Those two might be on a par with one another. I don't know. I gave this four and a quarter stars. I, I thought it was just absolutely incredible. And uh, Bianca Belair with her own athleticism and everything and, and emotion and all the technical things she brought to it. Uh, these two had the best match in night one, no doubt in my mind, I thought. Uh, I agree with you. I thought um, I actually thought these two had the best, best match of the entire both nights, personally. Um, they set, uh, it was a great way to set the crowd home happy. Mm-hmm. You know, you had that triumphant moment. You, you, As you had stated earlier in the pre-show, you know, we got that moment that could be used forever on, you know, mainstream press that WWE craved so much, where you get two African-American uh, women that are uh, main eventing a WrestleMania, and then that shot of a crying Bianca Belair, and it shows, like, any little girls out there, you know, hey, you can do this. I get, you know, the reason for it and why they did it. It was a great PR move. It was a great wrestling match. And I it, you know, it delivered in spades on everything that it needed to deliver on. And I told you in the pre-show going into it that, like, I didn't really have any reason. They didn't really give me much of a reason to care about Bianca Belair. But through the story, and this is what I love in pro wrestling, through the story that they were telling in the match gave me a reason to get behind her to the point where we were sitting here watching it. I'm like, man, I really hope she wins. Like, I hope she pulls this off and it would be a really good, happy feel good story and a really good feel good moment and when she did and you can tell the crowd wanted that too and they went absolutely crazy and as they should and Wrestlemania ended on a happy note the baby face stood triumphant and all was right with the world for 24 hours exactly and you know what and I stand corrected it was the best match of the weekend I'm looking at my night two notes it was the best match four and a quarter stars an all-timer I, I thought it was incredible. In the match they were telling, and in the commentary also, too, it was a thing of where, even though, again, Sasha doesn't, it, this is not a thing most people know or think about, because Sasha is recognized for her greatness in the kayfabe and non-kayfabe senses at this point. The fact that she doesn't have a WrestleMania win is not something that's remembered about her. It will be at some point. But Bianca's the one that needed this. This is the breakthrough that she needed to become a star, they took her this far. They couldn't just stop at this point. She had to go all the way with it. She did, and it was a thing where it was it was just incredible. The, the way that it, it, it came together, the way that they executed it, uh, it was incredible. It was the right chance, uh, right match to go on last, whether, whether you want to look at it from a cynical marketing perspective or in terms of ending with a feel-good moment for the crowd. It was incredible. And then, as you said, night two, and then there's that. Uh, I mean... I, I think if so, it, going back something real quick for you tonight too. Yeah. I didn't realize that as most people I don't think did realize that Sasha Banks uh, street stat that she's 0 and six at WrestleMania yeah. now. Uh, after this, I really hope they make a story out of this that she has like the anti streak, and so next year it's like so important for her to win at WrestleMania, and she doesn't, and it just keeps going because when she finally does win, it'll be like one of those like oh my god she won, which is really great because she's. Exactly. I mean, and that's the thing. And I got to say, too, I mean, it was it was basically, it was foreshadowing for this entire era. And in terms of the dominance of, and, and count me as somebody who was not missing Charlotte Flair being on either night here. 
But I go back to WrestleMania 32, uh, the first night of the women's championship as opposed to Divas championship. I mean, nobody in that company at that time was hotter than Sasha. They turned her face because they had to turn her face. She gets the epic uh, entrance there with Snoop Dogg, uh, her cousin Brent, wrapping her to the ring. Nobody was more over than her. And she was just, uh, you know, just another victim of Charlotte, basically. And that kind of set the tone from there. That WrestleMania-wise, she's never gotten what she deserves. But in this case, they had no choice. They had to elevate Bianca. Sasha is great at elevating somebody. She needed to play her role this year. Her time will come. 